Amen. Well, let's take our Bibles and let's open to Matthew 28 for this morning. We'll start a new series next week, and I hope that you'll be here to start that with us. This morning we're in Matthew 28. This is a famous passage. It is a passage given to the church. It is a passage given to those first disciples, and by extension, it's also given to us, and it's going to be a powerful chance for us to hear God's Word and do it. As you're turning there, I love the video of the guys that were, that were all duped into wearing the same shirt to church by their wives. Their, uh, their wives all got together and said, let's buy all of our husbands and all of our family members, all the guys, let's buy them the same shirt. And they just showed up to church unknowingly, uh, fooled into all wearing the same shirt. And, and the reactions were hilarious. Everyone was sort of confused. There was an excitement. There was a oneness. There was laughter. There was joy. They all felt the camaraderie. There's one guy, and he's like, is this a cult? Like, what's going on here? Like, what is this? Like, can you imagine being a visitor at this church on the first, you know what I mean? Like, that'd be hilarious. But they're all showing up, and what is the result of this? Well, it's, it's unity, it's camaraderie, they're all coming alongside. It's like putting on a jersey. Some of you are wearing the game day jerseys. If you're wearing that jersey right now, can I get you just to stand up for a second for game day? If you're wearing that jersey, can I just get you to stand up? Some of the, some of the servants, some of the people, this is exciting. You got yours, yeah, good. <laughs> you can be seated. That's tonight, and we're really excited about that. We're inviting a lot of these sports teams from Collierville out. We're very excited about having them tonight. Uh, but, but I think that's a helpful thing for, for teams, to come alongside one another and refresh the mission. When a team unites around a common mission, it, when they put the jersey on, it creates life, it creates energy, it creates joy, it creates identity, it creates camaraderie, it creates fellowship. Those moments are helpful moments in the life of any organizations, including the church. Now, we tend to underestimate our need to refresh the vision. From time to time, we need to refresh the vision. Why? Well, the Bible's illustration of what Christians are like is, is the word sheep. She, sheep. We're like sheep. We're often blind. We're often detoured, taking off, taken off course. We can't see. We're silly. We're distracted. We're often factious. We're often fearful over non-essential things. We're fearful over cultural things. And God knows that about us. God knows that from time to time, we have to refresh the vision. From time to time, we have to refresh the mission. And throughout the Bible, He gives His people reminders of who we are and, listen to me, reminders of where this is going. What do we need to be doing? Where do we need to be going? Who are we? And we saw that as we studied 2 Thessalonians. He says, I've taught you these things. Now I need to reteach you. I need to, to share with you these things again. He gives us reminders. In fact, if, you, if you've ever read the book of Deuteronomy, right? Deuteronomos, the law, he's, it's a repeating of the, the law. He's already given the law of Moses. Now he's repeating it for a new generation, a reminder we're often forgetful, and we need those. Well, Central Church is no different. We, we from time to time, need to pause and refresh the mission. Um, you may have seen some new artwork out in the lobby this morning. It looks something like this. And what, what are we doing with this? We're trying to get the mission ever before your eyes. What do we exist as a church to do? Well, our mission, Central Church, exists to glorify God. How? 
by multiplying and maturing disciples of Jesus Christ. We want that ever before your eyes. And everything that we do, every activity, every event, every single thing, we want it to come under that heading. And if it doesn't fit under that, then we don't want to do it. We really want to get focused on what we do and why we do it. And so this morning, what I'd like to do is answer the question, how? How is it that we multiply and mature disciples? We have to answer that. We have to understand our strategy. What is the execution of this mission? What does that look like? And so today we're going to look at four things. Let's stand in honor of God's Word. Matthew 28 as our, our springboard into the text, then we'll hit some applications, four applications. Matthew 28 verse 18 says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. That's our text for this morning. Now, I think that every mission statement of every church ought to come down to that text right there. When this was given, it was given to the disciples of Jesus Christ, but by extension, it was also given to us. Like, these are the marching orders. This is what we're doing. This is where we're going. These are the things we… The, the question is, how do we accomplish that? Well, notice a couple of words in the text. I want to highlight them for you before we sit down. Go, therefore make disciples. That's what it is to multiply. God wants us to be focused in on multiplying, to make disciples. Of who? All nations. Here's the exposition, baptizing them, bringing them into the church, bringing them confessionally under the gospel and under Jesus Christ, bringing them in. Make disciples. Go multiply. That's part one. Part two is our second word. Let's put it up. Teaching them. That is maturing. Every true church has to be a maturing church, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So there's multiply, there's mature. And today we're going to see what that looks like. What does it look like to multiply? What does it look like to mature? And, and I'm going to give you four words. And as I give you these four words, I want you to ask, truly ask the Lord, Lord, what is it that you're trying to do in me? What is it that you're trying to sharpen in me? Where do I need to connect with your vision, your mission for your church? And so may God bless the reading and the preaching of His Word. Be seated. Four ways to accomplish the mission. Number one, number one, if you're taking notes, we gather. We gather. This is our strategy. This is part of our multiplying, maturing strategy. We gather. We really emphasize that, and we have no problem telling you that this is the, the healthy part of Christian life for you. It is to routinely, as a congregation, gather under God's Word. I had somebody come up to me after first service. This was hilarious. I just died. I just, on the inside, it was, it was so funny. Uh, she came up and said, I, well, I was watching from home uh, this morning, and, and then you, you told me uh, on the text that we need to gather, that it's healthy to gather. And she said, so I'm here now. 
I'm here in second service. I was like, this is great. This is, this is hilarious. I loved it so, so much. Um, it's healthy. It's a good thing to gather, and we see that throughout the Scriptures. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 10, in fact, that's our verse that we're using, Hebrews 10.25, it says this. It says that we ought to consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. There's your phrase, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. There's a lot in that verse. We could do a whole sermon on that one verse. But I do think that it's addressing a true problem in the church today. In fact, a Gallup poll recently came out saying that for the first time in American history, and I've put this graph up on the screen before, the first time in American history church attendance has dropped below 50% of the United States a nation that started out as a, Christian, as a Christian nation, which is very interesting to me with Christian influences. I think there's a lot of reason for that. And, I, and by the way, I, I, don't want to, I don't want to make this bigger than it is because I think that even in these numbers, Gallup is a pretty broad assessment of the culture. There's some people being called Christians here who I don't know that we could call those healthy expressions of true Christianity. There's some suspect ministry. There's false teaching for sure. But I do think that the chart reveals a grand misunderstanding in the life of many Christians. There are some, and the word of our text is the word neglecting, neglecting. And you might underline that in your text. Now, why do people neglect? Why do people not gather as a routine in their life. I think there's a lot of reasons, and, and you could come up with your list too, because I have mine. Maybe it's a priority issue. Maybe it's a guilt issue. Remember last week we said that, that this is a place where, where sinners are safe. Everybody say safe. Sinners are, are safe at Central Church, but our sin is never safe. Somebody say amen. Sinners are safe, but our sin is never safe. Every time you come to this place, expect to be challenged. Expect to hear the Word of God. Ask the Lord to change you into the image of Christ. You can expect that. I think a lot of people feel uncomfortable putting themselves under the challenge of God's Word. I think that's part of it. I think many people are led by feelings rather than God's Word. I like the story of the guy who told his wife, I'm not going to church. The wife said, oh, yes, you are. He said, oh, no, I'm not. I'm not going to church. I refuse today. You can't make me go. I don't want to go. I don't connect with the people. Nobody likes me. Give me a couple of reasons I ought to go to the church. And his wife says, I'll, I'll give you three. Number one, you're not going for people, right? You're not going for the imperfect people. You're going for the perfect God. It's imperfect people gathering together to worship a perfect God. You're going for God, and so go to church. Number two, you're a 40-year-old man. Put your pants on and go to church. And, and number three, you're the pastor, and somebody's got to preach. All right? Go to church. I like that. It's that reminder that at any time, any one of us can fall into a habit that's not healthy. Notice verse 25, it shows us, it corrects those habits. Do you see it in verse 25? Not neglecting, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit. Let's focus on that word habit for just a second. The word habit, it's the word behavior, it's the word tradition, it's the word custom. It was used of Jesus in Luke chapter 4, verse 16. 
And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Jesus had this habit of gathering in his life. That's the idea. I think this is a helpful passage for us. I think it's a helpful passage coming out of COVID-19. I think there's all sorts of habits that have probably not been healthy. For some of you, that the habit that has not been healthy is maybe eating too much in seclusion, right? Your wife finds you eating a box of donuts and you've got powdered sugar all over your face. For others of you, you've been watching way too much Netflix and it's just not healthy to watch a whole season of The Office in a week. Amen? I didn't hear any amens. For others of you, there are habits of what we're talking about today, where you're watching church and you're watching it from home in pink bunny slippers, but the text tells you you need to be with God's people. This is a helpful thing for us for the season we're in coming out of COVID. We need to regather. We need to regather. Now, listen, I'll be the first one to tell you I'm thankful for the live stream. We have a ton of people that watch every week. Did you know that? Um, I get messages from people from uh, all sorts of states in the United States of America who watch this service. It's been remarkable to get messages from Pennsylvania and Washington and California and Colorado and, and to get all of these messages. It's been remarkable how many people we've connected with. And I think there's some really good things about social media. I think there's some really good things there where people are being fed who are in hard situations. I, I get that. I really, really do. Um, I think it's been helpful for me when I've been on vacation that I can turn on the, the feed and watch Pastor Justin preach or Pastor Greg preach or whoever else is preaching. I'm on vacation. I can still be a part of what God's doing in this place. And we should. Amen? We should. I, I think it's really a neat thing that, that whenever one of my four kids is sick and Ashley has to stay home, they can watch from the couch and they can give running commentary on dad's sermon, which is not necessarily a good thing all the time. I think those are helpful things. I really do. Um, but it's not meant to be the norm for God's people. In fact, we're, we're called to gather together. And there's some very good reasons for that that we see in this, in this very passage and some things that I think we can, we can think about. Now, I realize we're, I'm preaching to the choir this morning. You're all here. But you, you wouldn't believe how many hundreds of views that we get throughout the week of people watching this. And so, I think this could be a challenge to us all. Why gather in person? Why have your presence in this room? Write down these points. Number one. Number one. First of all, it's about God's presence. Now, you might say back to me, what do you mean it's about God's presence? Isn't God omnipresence? Isn't, doesn't He have omnipresence? Isn't He everywhere? Well, yes, He is. Isn't He indwelling every believer? Yes, He does. Doesn't He indwell the church universally? Yes, He does. But He also indwells the church corporately. There's a uniqueness to His indwelling corporately. In fact, we see that in Revelation verse, chapters 1 through 3, when we talk about all those seven churches in Revelation, there's a corporate indwelling, and we see there that Jesus Himself is in the midst of the seven lampstands. I love that. That Jesus, the lampstand, the church is called a lampstand, this beacon, this light, this truth to a city, and that in those churches, in the midst of them, Jesus is there. That's so cool. It's poetic. It's beautiful. 
So that, yes, He indwells us individually, but He also indwells us, this congregation, individually as a church. And when we gather, He is there. That's quite a thought, is it not? John Blanchard, I think that thought led him to say this, when someone you love promises to be there at a certain time, would you deliberately choose not to be there? Is your love for Christ so half-hearted and your hope of heaven so dim that you can stand standing Him up? Refuse to stand up, Jesus. That's what John Blanchard is saying. Spurgeon said it this way, imperfect, and I love this. I've quoted this many times before. Imperfect as it is, what, what's he talking about? The church. Can we all agree? We're imperfect. Yes? Give me some yes. This is not a perfect church. If you came looking for a perfect church, you won't find it. It's not out there. We're not perfect, but imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us who at first given themselves to the Lord should as speedily as possible also give themselves to the Lord's people. This is the dearest place on earth. Like, I got to start thinking that way. I can't wait to get to church. I can't wait to get with God's people. I can't wait to fellowship. I can't wait to pray. I can't wait to love these people with the love of Christ. It is the dearest place on earth. We got to start thinking that way. It was H.B. Charles who said it well. If you can miss church without missing something, something is missing. I'm going to say it again. If you can miss church without missing something, something is missing. We ought to gather for God's presence. Why gather? Another reason, write this one down, to be built. To be built up. To be built up in the faith. To be built up in love. To be built up in devotion. To be built up in your convictional living. You and I need to be built. Hebrews 10 shows us that, that, that when you miss church, you miss out on being stirred up and encouraged by each other. You're actually missing up on the stirring up and the encouragement of the people of God. When you come to this place, it's that moment when a brother, an older brother in the faith, man, could put his hand on your shoulder and say, God's going to get you through this. God's going to be faithful to you. He was faithful to me. It's that encouraging. You're missing out on that. You're missing out on being built up in the faith. That was Thomas's problem. Remember doubting Thomas? How many of you remember doubting Thomas? He wasn't there at that first gathering. In fact, over in, in John chapter 20, we see here that on the evening of the first day, the first day of the week, or on that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. This is right after the resurrection. Thomas, one of the 12, he's part of the group, was not with them when Jesus came. He missed out. That's why he was doubting, and that's why he was saying, unless I see the, the hands and the side, he missed out on that moment where his faith would be encouraged and flourished. That's a problem. Now, that's the context of our passage here in Hebrews. Let me give you the context. I don't like, I don't like taking something out of context to try and prove a point or an application. Look at our passage. Go back to, go back to Hebrews 10.25. We, we see it in Hebrews 10.25. They're told to meet together. And then in verse 26, he says, For if we go on sinning deliberately. Pause there. Well, what is he talking about here? I need to meet together to prevent sinning deliberately. Wait, what's sinning deliberately? What does that even mean? 
What's the context of Hebrews? It's these people, it's these Jewish Christians, Jewish believers who are tempted to go back to the old ways of doing things, tempted to go back to Judaism, tempted to go back to the temple sacrifices, tempted to go back to the the works that can never save, right? The doing that can never bring salvation. They're tempted to go backwards. And so he says, look, don't go on sinning deliberately. I don't want you to go on sinning deliberately. I don't want you going back to works religion. I don't want you going back to legalism. I don't want that for you. If you do that, there's no longer a sacrifice for sins. A lot of confusion on what that means. Let's, let, let me unpack that. What do you mean there's no longer a sacrifice for sins? Jesus is the only one. He's the only real sacrifice for sins. There's no other way to God. There's no other salvation. There's not this multiple roads, any pick a road, all roads lead. No, no, no. There's, there, there's only one way to God. That's it. And it's through Jesus. So if you leave Jesus, if you sin deliberately and continue in unbelief, you're taking a path that will never save you. It's just empty works. Now let's read verse 25. Don't neglect the assembling of yourself. You've got to stir each other up not to sin deliberately to encourage each other in the faith. That's the idea. That's what he's saying. This isn't about, and I just want to say this because I I know that, I know there's a a myriad of beliefs here. This isn't about meeting a certain time of the week or even a certain day of the week. I, um, I just met with a missionary this last week. I think it was Thursday. John Andrew and I and Tinsley, and we were, we were hanging out with this missionary. He was saying that, that, um, that they meet, what was it, Friday, guys? I think they meet on Fridays or Saturdays for their church. They're in an Islamic situation, and, and they can only meet on certain days. That's when their church meets. I don't think… It, uh, you make one day holy, the rest aren't holy, right? And so, this is a situation… You can meet… And when you meet, whenever your church gathers, don't miss that. That's what this is saying. It's not about 9.15 or 11 o'clock or my church meets at night or my church meets on Saturday or whatever. This is specifically addressing the heart to gather with your church. That's what this is about. When your church meets, you meet. I think there's something powerful about meeting on Sunday. It's the Lord's Day. That's uh, what we see in Revelation. The Revelation came to, to John on the Lord's Day. It's when the early church met. But honestly, if you're in a situation where it needs to be a Saturday night, fine, meet on Saturday. But don't miss your meeting. Don't miss your meeting. We need to embrace that. We need to prioritize that. Kevin DeYoung says it well. He says, the man who attempts Christianity without the church shoots himself in the foot, shoots his children in the leg, and shoots his grandchildren in the heart. It kills your legacy. We've got to prioritize our legacy, our future. A a final reason to gather, we need to minister to one another. Don't miss this. When you show up to church, it's not just this receive thing. Many of you are stuck in this receive place, like, like, I just need to go and I need to receive stuff. You come to church looking to give, looking to give and to encourage. And that's what we see over in Hebrews 10.25. It says, consider one another, encourage one another. Like, like, you need to show up on Sunday morning. This is ministry moment. This is, this is ministry. I'm coming with my head on a swivel looking around because there's going to be that brother who lost his job, and I need to pray with him. There's going to be that, that mom who has a bunch of kids, and they're rowdy, and she needs some encouragement because, because it's been a tough week. There's going to be that young lady who feels inadequate 
to her husband, and she needs an older woman of the faith to come and encourage her and love her and tell her, you are more than adequate in Christ. We need encouragement at every level, don't we? I need encouragement. You need encouragement to find our identity in Christ, to find our hope for the future in Christ. When I first got here, I understood what that word stirred up really meant. That word stirred up is a powerful word. It means provoke. It's the same word used to Paul and Barnabas. Remember how they were provoked to fighting one another over John Mark? Remember that word? They, they, they got into an argument and had to split ways. They were provoked to a fight. That's, that's the idea. This is, here it's used positive. It's like you need to show up to stir up each other, provoke each other to godliness. When I first got here at uh, Central Church, nearly been three years, and January will be three years, I got here and someone said, Matt, you, you just, uh, you don't know what you've gotten yourself into. It's going to take a lot of work. God has done the work. Praise God. Somebody say amen. amen. Praise God. But my mentor looked at me at my installation and he said, God's got this. Matt, you can do this. You can build the team. We can bring about a healthy place. God can do this. I'll never forget that moment, just how, how powerful that was to me. It was like he was saying, you're not enough, but God is. But wouldn't that be helpful? Do you see how helpful that would be if we were doing that for each other every Sunday? Like, yeah, you're not enough. You're right. You're insufficient. But, but with God, all things are possible. That was a great moment for me. And notice, we need to be doing this stirring up ministry as we gather. Notice what it says in the text. All the more. All the more as what? We need to meet together all the more as you see the day drawing near, lots of interpretations on what that day is. Was it the destruction of, of Jerusalem? I don't think so. I think it was specifically the coming of the Lord, the return of the Lord, which we just studied in 2 Thessalonians, right? So, so as you see the day of the Lord coming, as you see the coming of our Savior coming, 40% of Jews are now living in Israel, by the way. Amen. Some, one person's excited. I'm with you, sister. Globalism, authoritarianism, war, rumors of war, moral decline. As you start to see all of that, what are we supposed to do? All the more. You meet all the more. You gather all the more. You make it a bigger part of your life. That's what this is saying. We want that. It's not about the numbers. It's not about ego. This is about church health. This is, this is healthy for you. You come to church and you, you look at this as an opportunity to be encouraged and to encourage others. In fact, I tell our staff, we play this game. I say, we need to play the game as a staff. Who's going to be the last to leave on Sunday? And it's like, I'll be here like, like I think it was last week or two weeks ago. I'm still walking around. It was 1.30 or 2. And we still had staff members here talking to people and praying with people. It was awesome. Get here early. Leave late. Encourage each other. Part of multiplying and maturing disciples is our gather. It's our focus on the gather moment. Number two, if you're taking notes, number two, you'll see these out in the hallway in the, in the foyer. We give. We give. Now, this isn't what you think, or it's not specifically what you think. When I first came here, uh, someone asked me, I was being interviewed, and they said, are you going to preach on giving? Are you going to be one of those pastors who, who preaches on, on giving? Are you going to do that? And uh, I, I 
I said I would, and I routinely do. I don't know that I've done the, the greatest job on that. In fact, I've had people come up to me and say, Where, how do you give at this church? You don't pass a plate. And uh, I point out the receptacles over here, 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 all around. And um, there are receptacles there for that, and, and we do encourage that. I do think part of, part of the measurement of your spiritual health is that you're, you're giving to the work of, of God. I do think that's, that's a real thing. That's not primarily what I mean, and not primarily what we as an elder board mean when we talk about giving. What we talk about in the giving is specifically the, the giving of your entire self to this church. It's, it's the giving of your very lives. In fact, over in Acts 4, verse 32, we see a great picture of this. It's the early church, and it shows what that early church looked like. They had lots of problems, but they were doing some things very well. Now, the full number of those who believed were of, listen to this, one heart and soul. One heart. They were headed in the same direction. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in, in common. That's a beautiful text on the New Testament church. That heart speaks to the, the lives being on the same path. That soul, it's used, that word soul, we have to understand that in the New Testament. Let's pause on that word soul. It's used inconsistently in the New Testament depending on the author. Um, the word soul, authored by Luke here, is a little bit more of a Greek idea of the word soul. Plato uses that word, and he, he wrote a, a work called Republic, the Republic, and this was a picture of this utopian society where it says that the, the people of this utopian society, they were one-souled. They were of one soul. Aristotle talks about it in the Greek sense, and he uses this word, and he talks about, talks about your friendships and how friendship is two people, one soul. I think that's the sense of this word in this passage. Jesus, I think, illustrates this in Luke chapter 8, verse 21. His, his mother and his brothers, you remember his disciples are following Jesus full time, but his mother and his brothers kind of show up at, at different points. They're not following him full time like the disciples. And at some point they show up and they're at the door of the house and Jesus is inside the house and the disciples say, listen, your, your mother, your brothers are, they're here. They're, they're like knocking at, at the door. And Jesus says, who are my mother and my brothers? It's those who hear and do the Word of God, right? It's, it's, that's my mother. They're of one soul. That's the idea. We ought to give our very selves to each other. How do we do that? Well, certainly we offer up resources to one another. We meet needs. You see a need in the congregation, you stretch to meet it. Notice in verse 32, it's a crazy line. They had everything in common. Everything? They had everything in common. That word common is the word koinonia. It usually means fellowship. Um, a lot of our English words come from this word, commonality, communism. Some people will look at this verse and say, see, there it is. Communism's in the Bible. It's closing prayer. Not quite. Um, that, that word is not communism here. In fact, you don't even, as you look at that, and as you look at the commonality here, it's voluntary. It's not coerced at all. It's, it's you volunteer your stuff. It's not forced. In fact, it goes out of the way to say the things that belong to him, 
So they're your stuff. It's not like the state taking your stuff. It's not like the leaders taking your stuff. It's, it's this heart of giving that, that the Lord works inside of you, and you don't need the government to tell you to do it. You don't need your church to force it upon you. It's just this heart to give. That's what it is. And that's why they had everything in common. What's that look like? Got a need? I'm here to help. I'll give you a ride to church. I'll give you a ride to work. If I have an extra car or an extra resource and you need to borrow it for a week, sure, take it. I'm here for you. You don't have a place to lay your head? Stay at my house. We've got an extra room or we, we can kick Caleb out of his room. He won't mind, will you, son? It's, it's not a problem. We get the example of what it really means in verse 36. Look at verse 36 of Acts 4. Joseph, also called Barnabas, he sells a field. He brings the money, lays it at the apostles' feet. So you've got these apostles who are fishermen and, and lay guys, and now they've got money to distribute. And so certainly it's supplying, but I don't think that's even the main thing. The thing that characterizes Barnabas' life, Barnabas, right? Barnabas, he's the son of encouragement. That's the characterization of his whole life. This guy is doing that encouragement work that we talked about last week. Remember that word parakaleo? Anybody remember this? The knee brace, right? The two things by the side that keep you stable on either side of your knee so it can bend this way, but not this way. That's the idea. Some of you have broken a hand or an arm or a leg and you got a cast. What was that cast for? It was to keep that arm, that leg, that, that limb stable so that it could grow strong. That's the word. He's, he's the son of encouragement. This guy comes alongside people and makes them strong because his, his giving attributes in their life. That's what this is saying. He's the son of encouragement. We've got to give like that. You know this, I, 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 I've heard this since I got here. Collierville is the number one school system in the state of Tennessee. Did you know that? Number one school system in our town. And, and you realize that when you get onto the, the campus of Collierville, right? I went there for the first time and I thought to myself, oh, nice college. This is a nice school. What, what is this? I didn't know we had a major college in our, in our town. What's going on here? And I, I went to it and realized this is, this is the high school, now, when I went to high school, I went to a, a private school. We didn't have a great big budget, but we had a locker room. And I think at some point they started calling it a field house. They built this thing here at Collierville. I mean, it's just like opulent. It's crazy how, how this thing is in, in Collierville. And it's almost more like a clubhouse, right? Not a locker room and, and maybe not even a field house. But why do we use words like club and house to describe that place of respite for the players. Well, it's because whenever you go out on the field, when you leave the clubhouse, when you, when you leave the, the field house or whatever you call your, your place of respite, you want it to be really nice because when you leave, someone is going to try and hit you as hard as they possibly can on that field, right? They're going to try and destroy you on the field. It is all-out war on the field. That's the idea. And, and so, so we kind of start viewing this place like a place where we come alongside each other. We make, the, we make the environment nurturing. We make the environment a place where you can have a good launch pad back into the battle. This is an oasis. The church, I'm not even talking about the building. I'm talking about the people. We are an oasis for one another because parenting is war. And because 
working a job to the glory of God in a hostile environment with unbelievers is all-out war. And, and sharing your faith, this battle, God calls us to be witnesses and to go, but it's all-out war to overcome my fears. And I need, I need this oasis. I need the people of God to come alongside me to encourage me in my faith and send me out with strength. Amen? That is what we're to be with each other. How do we do that? How do we invest in the people of God? You come alongside Pastor Derek, Pastor Justin, and say, yeah, I'll give my time. I'll give my resources. I'll give my hours to be in youth group, to be in children's ministry, to to be connected. I'll serve. You need somebody to serve? I'm in. I'll do it for the next generation. I'll do it for the needs. I'll help make this people an oasis of God for the people of God. That's what you do. Number three, certainly we gather, certainly we give. Third, we grow. We grow. I had a uh, seminary professor, and someone asked me last Sunday, it was last week, they may be in this service actually, and they said, Pastor Matt, have you ever, did you ever have any interactions or did you have uh, Dr. Howard Hendricks uh, when you were at Dallas Seminary? You know Prof. Hendricks, he was legendary at Dallas. And um, I did. I had him. And he is one of the legends that came out of his ministry was, was truly amazing. Um, he said inside of his office, there was this plaque. And I never saw it, but I'm told, and he said it was something like this. There was this plaque. And every time before he would go out to teach a class, he would look at that plaque and it read the following, what in the world are you trying to do to these people? And that's, that's a great It's a great thought. What in the world are you trying to accomplish in these people? Colossians 1.28 gives us the goal. It repeats the goal of Matthew 28, but, but it shows that this goal is a teaching goal, and it's aimed at one word. It's the word maturity. We want to present everyone mature. That's the goal here at Central Church. Now, how many of you know the truth that nobody wakes up one day and just without any emphasis in their life, they realize that they're a Bible scholar. How many of you know that? That doesn't happen, right? It takes discipline. It takes intentionality. It takes focus. It takes study. And I think we could use that as we think about growth. Let me show you something. This is, this is a lot of lines on the screen here. How many lines is that? Well, to be exact, it is 100 and it is, let's see, 168 lines. What does that represent? It's the hours in your week. 168 hours. That's what you get every week. How do we use them? Well, a third of them, you use them sleeping. So that's gone. Another third you use with school, education, work. That's gone. You've got a third left, what I would call flex hours in your life, about 56 hours, how are you going to use those? Well, most people, based on the studies I've, I've read, say that about 17 of those hours are social media. The rest are hobbies, chores, and sports. That's the other 39 hours. And, and that leaves one little line left at the end. For most people, this is the norm in, in our modern church subculture. The norm for most people is that they give Sunday for about one hour to the Lord, and that's about it. Now, let me tell you something I know from the discipline that I've had since I was in the second grade. I had parents that actually forced me to play the piano 
for 30 minutes to an hour every day of my life. Now, if we went on vacation or something, sure, they'd give me a day off. But, but most days, it was, it was piano, and that was just part of the discipline in my life. And so, I would, I would play, and I would practice. Or, or if you're in a sport, same thing. You would, you would have to go to three practices a week at football, right? You would have to give yourself to some rehearsal. You'd have to give yourself to some practice. How many of you know that, that one hour a week, how, how good do you get at something with one hour a week? What do you think? Nothing happens. Nothing happens. Every coach knows that. Every instructor knows that. It takes day in, day out, discipline, routine for growth. So if we're going to grow and the goal is maturity, we've got to come back to God's plan for maturity. Notice Colossians 1.28 gives us that plan. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Notice the everyone's. This is to speak against the Colossian heresy that you have the haves and the have-nots, that maturity is only for some people. Some people are enlightened. Some people are not enlightened. That was the mentality in this day, and, and Paul is pushing against that. He's saying, no, this is, this is for all of you. If you're going to be mature in Christ, every single one of you has to have some method in your life of becoming mature. Everyone everyone, everyone. What's that look like? Well, it's a preaching ministry. We proclaim. What does this proclamation look like? Warning, teaching with all wisdom. This proclamation ministry has the warning. You preach against some dangers, so you put yourself routinely, weekly, maybe some Bible studies in between, devotions. You, you, you take in those things that are warning you, don't go down this path. This is a path to destruction. And then there's teaching with all wisdom. There's both sides. There's both sides. It's the idea that we need to be under positive exhortation. We need to be under negative correction. And that's the kind of church we want to be. We want to be faithful to have that kind of preaching that encourages you in health. Notice it also requires faithful leaders, faithful pastors, faithful elders who are doing this teaching work. If you go to the very next verse, Colossians 1, 29, Paul says, for this I toil. I toil. That word toil is to work to the point of exhaustion. Now, you may come up to some of our pastors, you may come up to me and say, well, pastor, your, work, your hands don't feel like they've done a, a good day's work in a long time. What do you mean you work? Well, it's a different kind of work. I'm not just using high-quality moisturizer on my hands, all right? Uh, it's a, it's a high-quality work. It's an intensive work. It's a spiritual work. Most of our pastors, most of our elders are busy six days a week, seven days a week. It's busy. You put yourself under that ministry, that faithful ministry, and you realize that it's actually God upholding those men who lead the church. It's His energy that He powerfully works within. God is the one who enables your leaders. God is the one who enables your pastors, your elders, all of those people to do that work that you put yourself under. That's the idea. All of us should be able to say, this is my church. This is where I go. This is when I attend. This is how I give. This is how I'm growing. Now, let me give you an opportunity, just a quick application. If you take your bulletin, this is really great. On the inside, the first page on the inside, or second page on the inside, it has a few equip classes that are highlighted. There's more than this. 
There's some on the website if you want to look for more, but these are the, the three that we really want to, to funnel you towards. And one of the things you can do is have an extra hour in your week where you really give it to the Lord for your future growth. There's a card inside the bulletin. It looks like this. And you can actually check off one of the options. Write your name, your email, or phone number on there. Drop it in one of these receptacle boxes right over here, right after the service. But do that. Let us know you're coming. If you're in youth group or children's ministry, just write your names down and tell Pastor Justin or Pastor Derek you're coming. This fall, give yourself to the ministry. Give yourself to the equipping ministry of the church so that you will be mature. Mature. Make this a big part of your life. That's the idea. Last point, and we'll conclude. We gather, we give, we grow, and then we conclude with the word go. We go. We want this to be a going church. We don't think that Central will be healthy until we're actually going. We, we don't think that Central Church will be where it needs to be until we're taking the gospel to our workplace, until we're taking the gospel to the mission fields across the world. We want to send out missionaries. We want to send out evangelists. We want to go. We want you to go. And notice the empowerment for that in Acts 1.8. I don't have time to go deep into this, but I want to give you the basics of it. In Acts 1.8, it says you'll receive power to do this. You're equipped to do this. How do you have the power to go when, when your, your, your knees are, are shaky to give that message? The Holy Spirit empowers you. See, things have changed after the ministry of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. We have been given the Spirit to indwell us. We do not go alone. God Himself goes with us. So that means we can bear anything. In fact, that word witnesses, we're going to be His witnesses. Some of you might even be saying today, well, I don't feel called to be an evangelist. All of us, if you're a Christian, in some way, you are called to give witness for Jesus Christ. Every person, every one of you. That's why Pastor Greg is here. He's equipping us to be evangelists, to go and to take our faith to this world. Witnesses, that word could be transliterated martyr. Isn't that interesting? Understand the gravity of what you're involved in. It may be hard. It may be very difficult. But we go because we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we go to some very specific places. And we'll end with this. Notice the, the list of names here. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, end of the earth. Now, what I often see people do as they preach this passage is and say, well, what's your Jerusalem? What's your Judea? What's your Samaria? What's your end of the earth? And, and that's not an evil thing. That's not a, 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 a wrong thing, I think, if you're trying to be strategic. But what I do think is that the original audience had something very specific in mind when they read this. You know what they thought of when they, they read Jerusalem? Jerusalem. It's Jerusalem. And then Judea, and then Samaria. There are contexts to this sending ministry. Where are we? Where do we find ourselves in Collierville, Tennessee? Right here. We are preaching the gospel in Collierville, Tennessee, the ends of the earth. And we need to be faithful in this context, which God has placed all of you. So when you get up tomorrow morning, you think about this verse. I am going forth as a missionary with a context. I am in the ends of the earth right near Collierville, Tennessee, is going to hear the gospel because of me. I'm going to go and I'm going to tell somebody about Jesus Christ. That's my context. Now, it's not wrong to get strategic and to get creative. Do this. Watch this. 
Get your pens ready. Everybody get your pen or your phone ready. I want you to write down four names, okay? Four names in your life, in your circles, and then we'll be done. Four names. For Jerusalem, let's write down the name. Jerusalem, who is someone nearby? Who is someone really close to you? Who is somebody who is in your circles that you see all the time that needs Jesus, that needs the gospel? Write that name down. Here's what I want you to do. I just want you to pray over that name. I just want you to think about that name. I want you to ask the Lord for opportunities to speak to that name. I want you to really dig in and pray over this person, someone nearby. Let's go to the next one, Judea. Let's write down another name. Judea, fellow Jews. This is, let's write down the word family. Who, who are we going to use for family? Do you have a family member that comes out to you right now that needs to hear about Jesus Christ? Maybe they're just, they're just wandering in their faith. Maybe they're just far from God. They don't know God. They're not walking with God. A family member. Go ahead and write that person, that person down. Samaria. Boy, these guys have problems. The Samaritans. A good Samaritan? That's why it was such a shock to Jews. Can you believe it? A good Sam- Samaria. Who's the Samaritan? Who's the atheist that you know? Someone who's completely rejected Christ, and and maybe they're even that new atheism. They're antagonistic. God loves to reach those people. Oh, God loves to reach the hardened people like that. Let's pray for them. Let's ask the Lord to open doors for them, for the gospel. Write that name down. And then the ends of the earth, that's anybody. That's your fourth name. It can be anybody. Who, Who is God bringing to mind right now? Let's be strategic. Let's be contextual. Where are we? But we have to go. That's what this is saying. You know, as we close, I, I, I have very few movies that affect me uh, long term, but there's one I've told you about this movie that affected me long term. It was the movie Schindler's List. How many of you have, have had to, you've sat through that. It's a hard movie to watch. It isn't, it's a very hard movie to watch. Don't, don't show it to your kids until they get a little older. I, um, I remember the ending of that movie. It's about Oscar Schindler, who, who he helped a good number of Jews survive World War II, and he, he pulled them in. He was a wealthy man, and he pulled them in, used them in his factory, and he got them to the end of the war, and they lived. And, and at the end of the war, the war is over. He starts walking to his car, and he starts driving, and he says, now I'm going to be hunted. Now I'm going to be the guy who is a war profiteer, and they're going to come after me. And he looks down at his watch, and he looks at the Jews that he was able to save, and he says, I could have sold this watch, and that would have been more lives. And he's weeping. And I could have sold this car, and that would have been more lives. And he's weeping. And he realizes it's too late And he says to his friend, I could have done so much more. I just want to say this to all of us. The mission is temporary. You will never be able to gather, give, grow, and go like this ever again. It's temporary. It's temporary. Make sure that we get these four things right. And that's how I want to close the message. You remember when we were in Titus, I put that picture of the professor up on the screen? Remember the professor? He had the the jar, and it was full of the big rocks, and he says, is this full? And then he takes the pebbles and dumps it in. The pebbles filter all in between the big rocks. Is it full now? Students are, yes, maybe, I don't know. 
Then he takes the sand, and the sand filters in between all the pebbles. How about now? And they won't answer. And he takes water, and he pours the water in. One, he asks the class, what's the point of the lesson? One student said, there's always room for more. Nice. But no, that's not it. Here's the point. You've got to put the big rocks in first, or else nothing else will fit. As we think about our mission here at Central Church, we've got to get the big rocks right first, or else nothing else should fit. If we're not doing the main thing, if we're not keeping the main thing the main thing, we're missing the main thing. Heads bowed, eyes closed. What is the Lord doing in your life to get the big rocks right? That's what I want to answer. As the team comes up, let's remember the urgency. 300 million years from now, many of the things that we prioritize right now will not matter. 300 million years from now, what will matter is what you did to advance in these four areas. Your gather, your give, your grow, and your go. What do you need to do and ask the Lord to refresh in your life right now? Is it a Wednesday night equip class? Is it a going and serving in children's and youth or on the grounds or in welcome team or in one of the many other ways, maybe a teacher, go talk to Dr. Castro. Where are you giving your time, your talent, your treasure? Come up with one or two applications for yourself right now. What are you going to do? What are you going to leave this place and do today? Heads bowed, eyes closed. I also just want to give out the gospel message that saves us. Maybe you're here today and you're hearing this this Hebrews passage talk about sacrificial language and there's no other sacrifice for sin. There's no work that can save you. It's only Jesus' work. There's no legalistic practice. There's no being good enough. None of that works. None of that brings salvation. It's only Christ. It's only Christ. It's only faith in Christ. Maybe you're hearing God's voice today saying, repent of your sin turn from your sin, turn from your unbelief, turn to Jesus Christ in saving faith. He will save you. He will do these things in your life. He will make you into the very image of Jesus Christ. You must repent and believe in the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, and God will save you. Would you do that now? As always, if you need to pray with someone, we're going to have some men standing off to the side, my left, your right. If you need to pray with someone, we need to be a praying church. We need to lift each other up. We want to make that available for you during the song and after our service. Father, I lift up my friends. I lift up all that you have gathered here in the name of Jesus today. I pray that you would refresh our mission as a church. Father, would you draw us to these things because these are the things that, that you say we ought to be doing in these last days that we ought to be doing for a strong faith, a healthy faith, a healthy mission. So, Father, in a time where good things are neglected, help us to hold fast to them. Help us to hold fast to the gospel. Help us to hold fast to your son, Jesus. We love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.